This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly. Perhaps harsh on everyone else to lead on Chelsea and Liverpool's fourth goalless draw in a row. Brighton Bruno, that's who Bruno Salter is, picks his first ever team and they're very Graham Potter-like, creating chances, not scoring goals. How big a rebuild do both these sides need? After that, big results in the race for Europe and down at the bottom. Jordan's here to rightly praise Aston Villa, a late winner at Leicester who looked doomed, if anyone can look doomed, when the bottom nine are within seven points of each other. Brighton's push towards the top four continues at potentially doomed Bournemouth in Evan. Ferguson, do they have the next big thing? Forest look doomed, well, more doomed than Leeds after Sinistera is the difference at Ellen Road. And then there's Monday night, Michael Keane not from there, while Spurs give an exhibition of how not to play against 10 men. And there's a chance to discuss Harry Kane simultaneously given a pass by the media to do what he likes because he's the England captain and over-criticised for acting like every other player because he's the England captain. All that plus your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. on the panel today. Jordan Jarrett-Brian, welcome. Hello, mate. You are right? I'm very good. Hello, John Bruin. Hello, Max. And hello, Barry Glendenning. Hello, Max Rushton. So here we are. Julien Laurent, our friend, tweeting, fourth Chelsea-Liverpool in a row without a goal. That's now 465 minutes, seven hours and 45 minutes without a goal between them. This is crazy. Miguel Delaney, it was so entertaining for all the wrong reasons. It was often hilarious with a lot of slapstick. Um, Jurgen Klopp said, not the most spectacular game I ever saw. We did debate, John, whether we should start with this game. And I guess the interesting part is just sort of how bad these two teams are at the moment. That They are bad, but I really enjoyed this game. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't watch it again. But <laughs> you, know, you know, like one of these sort of, I don't know, some sort of screwball comedy that appears on the TV and you just find yourself lolling in your sofa watching thinking yeah this will do well that's what it was like there was just there was absolutely no pattern to the game you have this thing where two teams are up against each other not really and and certain uh people refer it to it as a uh, an absorbing contest or an intriguing tactical battle well there was no tactics in this game as far as anyone could gather there was just uh, liverpool are really going through it now uh, you know, before the game, it was sort of a managerless Chelsea. Well, it seemed to me as though Jurgen decided he was going to take the night off too. With that selection, Liverpool could still feasibly get into the top four. They have nothing else to play for, and and he selected that team. Now, uh, and the other thing you mentioned is Bruno, that the Chelsea manager or Chelsea man, interim manager, or is it caretaker manager? We're not sure how we want it like all these days. And everyone was saying, well, they don't know who he is. But, I mean, I do remember him as a Brighton player. And my other interaction with him is, uh, if you ever go to Brighton press room, the, the dressing room is right next to the uh, press conference room. And I once saw Pep Guardiola and Bruno chatting away for what felt like about 10 minutes, laughing away. And I'd never heard Pep Guardiola laugh before. So I've always thought of Bruno as the guy that could make Pep Guardiola laugh. Now, here he is on the grandest stage of all our league, uh, presiding over one of the most forgettable, yet also quite entertaining games that I've ever seen. It was funny with Bruno, because when they said, if they just said Bruno is taking over, I'd have, exact, I'd have 
instantly known who that was. But when they said Bruno Salter, I was like, oh, I wonder who that is. I didn't know that Brighton Bruno had a surname. Um, <laughs> but it was it was it was quite interesting. Do you think you mentioned Liverpool's changes there? I wonder, Barry, if if Jurgen Klopp has looked at Arsenal at the weekend, and that's at Anfield, and thought we can't we could get massively turned over and that is a big problem if we if we lose at chelsea it's not as much of a disaster and i wonder if that has impacted on his selection from yesterday i like to think he listened to monday's uh, episode of football weekly and heard my um incisive comments barney made them as well but i i reinforced them i think with more vigor about uh, <laughs> man city just slinging diagonals in behind uh, his fullbacks and, and making hay in that fashion and decided to drop Trent Alexander-Arnold and, and Andy Robertson, among others. But it did seem a bit, yeah, he just napalmed his team and went, right, I, I hate all of you. You're all making me look bad and I'm, I'm getting rid of six of you. And, uh, I mean, Chelsea should have won this game again. They, they just couldn't score. But, uh, yeah, it was a comically entertaining game, uh, a bit French farce, people walking indoors while other people left out another door as someone hiding in a wardrobe and whatnot. Um, but I think Chelsea have every right to feel they should have won and Liverpool have every right to feel quite lucky to escape with a point. Mm. And that, Jordan, has happened before to Chelsea. You know, that's just sort of Graham Potter... That's what he does, right? And and also, you thought with Golo Kante there, like this, these little things. I mean, it's not a little thing, is it? Had he been fit for the whole of Potter's reign, you think they would they would be doing better? He may still be in a job. You'd like to think so, yeah. I mean, I also believe that Liverpool and Chelsea are trolling the footballing world every time they play by deliberately not scoring goals and just seeing how long they can play this play this game for. Um, yeah, obviously, on, on your point regarding Kante, it's a massive miss and one of the best players in the world. And you'd like to think that they would be, you know, not 11th <laughs> if, if he was in that team. But I, I think there was another elephant in the room as well. And I think Daniel Sturridge is obviously is very fast becoming one of my favourite pundits on TV, made a point about Lukaku. And I can't think of a team that has needed a striker <laughs> to put chances away, you know, more so than, than, than this Chelsea team. And he was making the point that he thinks Lukaku in this team, he would have scored a hat-trick last night. And Lukaku for, has, has some flaws and faults. But the, the amount of chances Chelsea created last night was was was, just, was embarrassing, um, and I, I'm really intrigued to see how they deal with that Lukaku situation next year, depending on which manager comes comes in. Also, your question to Barry about um, the, the selection of Liverpool is something I was thinking. I was thinking the flip. I was wondering to myself, he's left some big guns out for the game on Sunday. Does Klopp think that beating Arsenal at home? is an easier game than beating Chelsea away. Because if he's saving his big guns for the weekend game, that for me suggests that he thinks he's got a better chance of getting three points in that game than he did last night. Yeah, no, I think it's more that that the the sort of losing at Chelsea, right, is just not... Because it's an away game and they're strong at Anfield. I just think if they get absolutely turned over the way Arsenal are playing, which they could do, that is a really... I'm not... I don't mean like to Jurgen Klopp getting sacked, but just sort of to where, to how deep the crisis goes for Liverpool is, is what was my instant thought. I don't know. Who who knows? I guess what's, in, what's interesting, John, is about the rebuild of these two sides, right? So so 
Jordan mentioned Sturridge talking about Lukaku there, which, you know, in a centre forward seems essential. But I wonder, do, does the new manager have to basically look at these attacking midfielders and go, okay, I've got so many, I need to lose four of them or however many so that the others can actually have a run in the side because you just can't be good if you play for 60 minutes and then you're dropped and then you come off the bench for the next one. You know, like there are players like, you know, Sterling, what came on for five minutes, clearly a good, very good Premier League player. Mudrich plays and then doesn't play, doesn't have any time to get any form. And I just wonder if you need to sort of go, look, they're all quite good. I don't know how you decide who the good ones are. More than that, there is a, a financial uh, responsibility that Chelsea have got to meet because look at their fine, uh, spending, look at financial fair play, look at the rules. Uh, they're way over and they need to shell a few of these players. I'm reminded of, uh, remember 10 years ago uh, when um, the club decided they were going to reset themselves. This is Chelsea, Remember Abramovich, and they had that they were sort of twinkling forwards. They had Oscar, they had Eden Hazard, and then they had Juan Mata. And then they had to shell one of them. They had to get rid of them. Yet, that was three or four players fitting into two or three positions. Now they've got six or seven to fit into those two positions. And uh, one of the players you mentioned, Havertz, is not a centre-forward. He has proven that time and again. I said this on Twitter last night. He wouldn't be the bravest player I've ever seen play the game. Let's put it that way. No Steve Bull, is he? No, no, no. He's he really is not. But he's lovely. He's lovely. Like he's lovely. Joe Felix is love. Joe Felix looks amazing until he shoots. I think Joe Felix is a really, really talented player. But yeah, a bit of a jigsaw in the box, um, and that seems to go for all of them. And how do you? I, I don't know. But Chelsea has always been that problem for strikers. Uh, great Chelsea strikers. I was listening to Michael Owen run through them and he started mentioning people like Crespo and it's like, well, if not even Crespo was that good, you know, Shevchenko, you, you, be, you, you essentially drilling down, aren't you, to Costa, Drogba, who's, who beyond that are the great Chelsea strikers? Kerry Dixon. Kerry Dixon Greaves, well, Kerry Dixon, Jimmy yeah. Greaves, and that's, yeah. Yeah, but I, mean, but I mean, the thing is, though, this season, I, I believe that Chelsea are going to score the least goals they've scored since 1923. So they've always been a free-scoring team because they had players like, you know, Osgood, Greaves, Dixon. Yeah, it feels a long time since they had a proper striker. Um, and one of the great failings of the Bowley, uh, Egg Harley regime is that they didn't seem to realise this. That it's a, for a team to be good, you need someone to score goals, and they, they've completely missed this. How how big is the Liverpool rebuild, Barry? Do you think? Well, massive. I think um, they need what at least one centre back. They need. It could be argued they need an entire new midfield. Mo Salah hasn't been playing particularly well this season. I'm not saying he's he's a busted flush but uh, there are sources of concern there still not convinced by Darwin Nunes although he's a fun player to watch but there's a lot of work to be done there and I don't know if Jurgen Klopp is the man to do it he he made a comment I don't know if it was tongue in cheek or not but it was quite interesting in a recent press conference saying he, he wasn't sure why with all these managers being sacked he wasn't under pressure and We've lost 12 already this season. You might have to do a Steve Cooper voice note. Uh, 
after this pod, just to have have in, in your back, have it in your locker. I think David Moyes is also on a sticky wicket, and you know, I, I cannot see, conceivably see Liverpool sacking Jurgen Klopp, but I do think it may be time for him and Liverpool to part company. And But then who do you get? Because there's so many big English clubs... There's so many Premier League clubs, and it's the hottest ticket in in football town. Looking for managers, who who do you get in? Who's available? Who who will want the job? Everyone would want the job, presumably. It's Liverpool, but yeah, it's it's a tricky situation they find themselves in. I was going to say, but it's interesting what Barry says about Liverpool's midfield because you've got these players like Harvey Elliott, Curtis Jones, uh, Batetic, who looks really talented. But 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 that is a long term, you know. That is so long term, and like Fabinho looks so. I just see Fabinho just t- <laughs> founding people. Now, I know he did that before, but he also was like really like constructive as well. Henderson, who just never stops, right? Well, H- Henderson Henderson's job last night. I don't know if you noticed this. Yell at people, wasn't was he? shouting at people. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, him and uh, Joel Matip really aren't getting on at the moment. Was the, was the impression that we were given and actually isn't that always a problem with players when they go to the pointing stage max you'll know this from your uh your high your highfalutin career <laughs> the pointing and shouting stage is the beginning of a slippery slope isn't it yeah the, the legs may have gone just <laughs> shout shape a lot shout shape and point um yeah it'd be fascinating to see like because bellingham there's no way Bellingham could go to Liverpool, Jordan. I mean, like, like unless there's some real emotional tie. Of course, it's an amazing football club, but you can't go to a side that aren't in the Champions League, and because there's no guarantees they'll get in it next year. You know, like like teams will, all these big teams, like big teams, have to miss out every year in the Premier League. Well, that's the narrative, isn't it? From from you know your ex Liverpool legends that say no, it's only a year out of the Champions League that won't affect it. Klopp will convince him it's Liverpool, radi radi ra. But as you say, there is no guarantee next year Liverpool will be in the Champions League. I also think that if there's a, you know a clutch of clubs that are in for him. They will all be in the Champions League. They will all match, if not better, Liverpool's financial package. And, you know, if, if, if an Arsenal or a Man City that are Premier League champions going for him, they have that pull as well. So I, I'd be stunned if, if, if there's a clutch of clubs that go for him and he picks Liverpool personally. Just quickly, I think the other discussion needs to be had now is about Trent Alexander-Arnold. I've defended him... Um, for a long, long time, in, in terms of I think better than he's defended deal. anything um, else. Yeah. Well, I, I was I was thinking of that. <laughs> I, I was thinking of that joke in my head, but I couldn't quite articulate it as well as you, Max. Said, so well done. But I, I, I think Klopp clearly is bound to him and, and and loves him. Wants to wants to stick with him. But I don't know, man. It's getting really bad now. It's the point where he clearly is a, a, a consistent weak link in that team. If they want to move forward. Can they do that with 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 him at right back? So I think that's a that that's something just to see how that plays out there as well. Uh, come on then, Jordan. Let's do Aston Villa. Uh, they won two one at Leicester um, above Liverpool, two points behind Brighton. Ben says, "Can you unearth a lyrical brummy to send Ellis James esque voice notes on our run to Europe?" A very late goal. It's a wonderful finish from Bertrand Traore. Awful mistake by Wilfred Ndidi. And here's Julie yeah. Walters with the uh... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that mistake by Ndidi and the Leicester players just. <laughs> crumpled to their knees, didn't they? Look, we'll do Leicester in a second. Um, Delacy says, Villa are good, aren't they, Jordan? Um, Emery has done a fantastic job, hasn't he, Jordan? 
how lucky were Villa last night, by the way. I mean, how much more luck can one team get? I forgot the centre-half's centre name that missed that sitter in the first Harry half. Suter. Harry, Harry Suter. Harry Suter. Come yeah. on, Max. Come on. Yes, it's, but it's, like, it's, come on. Let's end this pantomime circus <laughs> dislike of Aston Villa and and credit this team. One of the, They are a huge club and it would be great to see them getting into Europe. Yeah, I mean, no, no. I'm in the uncomfortable situation now of of having to praise Aston Villa because they are playing really, really well. Chelsea lot on the weekend were absolutely awful um, in terms of quality in the final third, anyway. But Villa were very, very good, and Villa were very, very meticulous in how they, you know, pulled pull Chelsea apart. And I think last night's match against Leicester as well. Um, what Villa are doing is very, very impressive. I've always been impressed by their midfield. I like their midfield three of Kamara. I'm a massive Ramsey fan. I think Ramsey is 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 a really underrated uh, talent. Um, and forgive me, who's the third one in midfield there? Whoever he is. is. Louise? Douglas Louise? Thank yeah, you. it was Douglas Louise. I'm a big fan of that midfield three. I'm looking at their next couple of fixtures, uh, Max. I'm seeing they've got Nottingham Forest at home and then Newcastle at home. Those are those are two games that Aston Villa can definitely win, and they've gone from being the only team about three weeks ago with nothing to play for. They're not going down. They can't get into Europe. To now, as you say, they they, they could well get into Europe. I think Unai Emery deserves a lot of credit for what he's done at, at, at that club. I'm not sure Villa deserve him, but hey, they've got him, and um, and fair play to them. Fair play. Actually, somebody made the point, and I, I forgive me, I, I I didn't put it in the script, so I don't know the, the name. Saying, look, this is the the phrase on the beach will just not be used because there are just no teams that are on the beach. Everyone has something to play for. I mean, Watkins, who's been on this run, Barrett, this tremendous run, he takes that goal so well, doesn't he? That's not easy what he did. Yeah, um, because he showed great strength, brute force to to hold off Timothy Castagna and finesse then to sort of send the ball trundling into the corner, kind of wiping its feet on the way ever so slowly and he he's on a brilliant row I think was that six away games in a row is it six games or six away games in a row he's he's scored in I think Danny Ings departure has really helped him uh just I'm the number one guy now I'm you know it's given him a massive uh, probably an ego boost really and you know that well, it could have been me that went, but no, it was it was Danny Ings that we, they got rid of. So I'm I'm the boss here, and uh, yeah, very impressive from Villa, quite unimpressive from Leicester, uh, but Villa have now won ten out of sixteen Premier League games under Emery, and given his record in in Spain, I mean, I think we see teams like Liverpool, Chelsea struggling and. In any other season, maybe they'd have got away with it, but you've now have teams like Newcastle, Brighton, Brentford all throwing grenades in and and really, you know, uh, punishing their their sloppiness. So look, here's the bottom of the table. Then Southampton are bottom, twenty three points from twenty nine. All these teams have played twenty nine. Leicester twenty five points. Bournemouth twenty seven. Forest twenty seven. Everton twenty seven. West Ham are on twenty seven, but they've played two fewer games. Wolves have 28 points, Leeds 29, Palace 30. They've also all played 29. So let's start with Leicester then. I mean, Harvey Barnes' goal, Jordan, is absolutely brilliant. They had this chance as well from Harry Souter. Their manager, who isn't Adam Sandler, unfortunately, but Adam Sadler, uh, I was very excited for one second. Um, and Dewsbury Hall sending off as well was a bit... I mean, it, you can see why I was given as a second yellow, but it, those fine margins, John. 
he was annoyed, wasn't he? Because he he got Ashley Young there. He, he you know when he got sent off, and like it was a totally you know it, two bookable offences. Another player, Ashley Young. What what a player actually I should say. Uh, it, it, you know, continues to be a, a really likable guy too. Uh, uh, for me, I'm sure people have different opinions of that. But anyway, Leicester City. Oh dear. Yeah, I mean, uh, Harvey Barnes. What a goal! And he nearly did it again. Not long after that, and he's just he's suddenly just yeah. The f- but yeah, his first touch is insane. So much skill uh, and, and pace, and they've got so much talent in that team, and yet it isn't a team. And you've got, I mean, you have this thing all season, didn't you, about how uh, they didn't want to get rid of Brendan Rodgers because it cost them money. Now I think that could end up costing them because of the teams down there at the moment. They're the ones that look. That, that look as if hope is leaving them. They obviously do have the talent to pull themselves out of it, but where are they going to get the spirit from? I mean, Jamie Vardy started again last night, whereas he hadn't played for quite a long time or started a game for quite a long time. Maybe he's going to be asked to pull them up with alongside him, but good God, uh, I, I really do worry for Leicester. Uh, and, you know, um, on the knowledge, on the website, we're starting to be asked questions of, you know, what's the shortest time from winning the league to being relegated and because that's in relation to to Leicester uh, i think the answer is manchester city got relegated the next season but that's a but it's it's been a disaster for leicester for quite a long time and without those two they got two wins in february including i think over aston villa uh they would be in big big trouble they'd almost be down interestingly sorry they they got i think it's one point from the first 21 available this season, and they've now got one point from the last 21 available. So that's not very good. That's two points <laughs> no, it's from not. It's 40, not many. 42. <laughs> yeah, but back in my raving dirty stop-out days when I was younger, I used to come back from the clubs and um, like six in the morning, and I'd always see like a dead squirrel or a dead bird in the middle of the road being feasted upon by like other birds and other, you know, other kind of vermin. And it kind of made me think about Leicester City this season if they go down. That's, that's going to be them. Because they've got some good players. They've got some really good players that you just know they're going to just be like piled upon and all those players are going to get pulled out of that club. And on, on Harvey Barnes, I've been a Harvey Barnes fan for a long time. That was a beautiful goal. He needs to try and find if he's got like some kind of Irish or Scottish heritage or something because I don't think he'll get into the England team, but it's a shame because he's such a talent. If he can find some kind of lineage um, in, in his family tree to go and play for one of the other home nations, um, he needs to do that because he's a, he's a massive, massive talent. They've got some good players there at Leicester, but the game on the weekend against Palace was the first time I thought they're going down. They're they're in big trouble. I'm I'm with John. I I think the momentum of all the teams down there is is against them the the, the most. I think they're gone. Uh, He's of Scottish descent through his grandparents. So, you know, there you go. Harvey McBarns. Yeah, um, as producer Joel says, ironically, you know, they are the foxes. So not not it's it's normally they're feasting on other people, on other on other dead badgers. Well done, well done, well done. Uh, Yeah, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, you you fear for them. You really do, don't you? And that'll do for part one, part two. We'll do the rest of yesterday's games and uh, the game on Monday night between Everton and Spurs. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, You can sign up to the Guardian Documentaries newsletter for free. 
It informs subscribers on the latest thought-provoking Guardian documentaries and gives a behind-the-scenes glimpse into the award-winning films. The newsletter is an opportunity to connect with the independent filmmakers through exclusive interviews and Q&As. Guardian documentaries tell contemporary stories with unique artistic vision that reveal the changing world we live in. Sign up today at theguardian.com slash documentaries hyphen newsletter to be part of the community and connect with the filmmakers. Uh, let's go to Ellen Road. Uh, Nicholas says, how many years will this relegation battle take off my life? He's a Leeds fan. Um, uh, Joe says, Javi Gracia has to be the best fourth choice manager in the history of football. Given he was fourth on the list, can only imagine we'd have won every game with the first choice. I, I, this is a like the big winners of last night were Leeds. Well, it's absolutely massive result for them, Barry. I think Leeds would be okay, actually. Um, Javi Gracia does seem to know what, they're, what he's doing. As I've said already, I, I think Steve Cooper for whether it's the right decision and I, I suspect he may not last the day but you know it's just it's crazy what's going on in the Premier League but a massive result for Leeds they should have won by more uh, against a team who have scored just five goals away from home this season and haven't won a game in their last eight that is not the kind of form that uh, you're going to stay up with by contrast, Javier Gracia has been in charge for six Premier League games and has taken 10 points. That, And if they keep going like that, they should stay up comfortably. Having said that, I haven't looked at the fixture list. I don't know how bad it is. Uh, I'll take a quick look. I mean, they do... They, I think a lot of, you know, viewers from the outside, you know, like the way Leeds play, Jordan, like the way they attack, sort of feel they've been doing the same stuff with... Um, Bielsa, Marsh and Gracia. And that clearly isn't the case, right? They are much tighter at the back and they attack with more purpose with Gracia. And, and like in, in Sinister and Harrison yesterday, two wide men who played really well. Yeah, and I think that with Gracia, you kind of get a bit of a grown-up and that's not really to be disrespectful towards Marsh or Bielsa, but he seems to realise, look, we can't play this chaotic basketball football every single week. It's going to leave us um, at best in and around the bottom, the, the, the drop zone, if not going down as well. We need to be a bit more diligent in our defending. We need to be a bit more pragmatic in how we play our games and play to our strengths. And the games I've seen of Leeds so far under him, that's what I've got. Although having said that, he's not boring. So you've kind of got the grown-up matureness of how they now play under him without losing the kind of fun element of, of not scoring goals. So, um, I mean, Barry says that he thinks they'll be a, they'll be fine now. I thought that as well, but then it wouldn't surprise me if they lost their next three games at the same time either. And they kind of went on some really weird, bad run. So, I don't think anybody apart from Leicester I can say with certainty is going down um, but no of, of, the, of the, the weak round of games they, um, they're definitely the winners for sure I, I do think there's very conspicuously different styles under Gracia and Marsh and I could, could never figure it out under Marsh that Leeds had these really good wide players that he didn't use to maximum effect he, he was very focused on attacking through the middle and as soon as Grazia came in, his first game in charge, I can't remember who it was, but you immediately noticed they're just getting the ball wide, get the ball wide, get crosses in, you know, playing to the strengths of his squad. And that, I think, is why they're doing better. Jamie says, um, some appreciation for Steve Cooper, please. Now the eighth longest serving manager in the Premier League. I mean, he is that. But we, we don't know how long. But the thing is, John, we, we sacked Steve Cooper about 10 games into the season and that was, that was wrong. So... I was it much like earlier than three, that? Three games in. Three games in. Yeah, yeah. So he survived that one when everyone was like, he's done. 
Uh, didn't he give him a new contract as well? They did, well, they, they were going to sack him, and then they sacked everyone else and gave him a new contract. That's, it. that's the way <laughs> Nottingham Forest roll. But do you uh, think? Do you feel they are? You know, normally there's a, normally right. There's one side team that are totally adrift, and normally there's a team that are in free fall. And I, I guess maybe Leicester in free fall, maybe Forest are. I don't know. But as as you guys have already alluded to, like we can make these grand statements, and then in a week it just looks it's all reversed because the other teams have won and the the league has swapped round. Can you be in free fall if the highest you be is like fifth from the bottom? <laughs> The thing is, with uh, I mean, with that problem, I think everyone discounts Southampton, who just all always look as though they might get out of the bottom three. Then don't. That that's one of those teams, and you know, are they going to run out of fights? And of course, if they've changed their manager twice this season, yeah, Steve Cooper. Now, Steve Cooper uh, is, um, and actually, you could almost associate him with Graham Potter. He has exactly the same problem, which is. Uh, a crazy board, buy him all these players, expect him to fit them in. It's no easier when you're a team towards the bottom of the table when it when you're a team expected to be at the top. At times, he's, you know, there's been this element of alchemy that he's pulled stuff around, but it's been a slow decline because that's not a team, that's a, a, a collection of individuals. Um, there's obvious talent in there. I mean, look at the goal that they scored, mm. Mangala. That was a beauty. And, Gib- and Gibbs White and Johnson have have an understanding, don't they? They look so good together. Yeah. Oh yeah, they've, yeah, but they've got absolutely yeah. Uh, listen, there's no there's no doubt the talent in that squad, but it's a Frankenstein squad that's just been plumbed together. And Steve Cooper is the guy that's been asked to pull it together. And Steve Cooper's a guy from you know a. a, a a coaching background in which it's about building teams, about building a culture. Well, how can you build a culture when bosses buy players and you know sack people around you? And I know the fear among Nottingham Forest fans is that Steve Cooper, having given them that great feeling of being a Premier League club again, is that they won't be back because then you move into flux. And um, there's little sign that they can be, say a Watford that make a, a virtue out of this flux, who actually now are running out of luck with this. It's, yeah, I mean, you look at C. Cooper, and again, he's one of those managers that, a little like Steve, uh, Graham Potter, he's the nice guy, and he answers questions in a, in a fair and reasonable manner. Could you question him? Could you question his management? I'm not sure, because I still think that he's been dealt a pretty bad hand there. Some talent, but so much to deal with and so much hoopla around him. Brighton are sixth, four points behind Manchester United, Newcastle and Spurs. Uh, Spurs have played two games more than everyone else. Brighton won 2-0 at Bournemouth. Uh, Evan Ferguson, Barry. I mean, you must think Ireland might win the World Cup now. No, no, I don't. No, okay, <laughs> okay, fair enough. We're, we we certainly won't win the Euros because we're in a group with France and the Netherlands, or maybe the World Cup. But oh, it's tremendously exciting just to have this player come from nowhere uh, that I'll be honest I'd never heard of him until I think he scored uh, earlier his his first goal this season but yeah he's, 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 he just looks full of confidence you know you have to be wary because he's very young just a yeah a tremendous prospect and and not since Robbie Keane I suppose burst onto the scene have we had so much to be excited about. Who's he like? Is he Shearer-like? Well, yeah, he, he, he's like a sort of... 
I remember when Shearer you know, scored a hat-trick on his debut, which was like 1988 or whatever, and it took a long time for Shearer to start scoring goals, but it's it's like him with a bit of playmaking abilities as well, because, of course, if you play at Brighton, you have to play with Mitoma and Solly March that are around you, and um, Stephen Kenny, the island manager, was talking about how uh, well, playing for Ireland is a little more difficult because he doesn't have Solly March, he doesn't have Mitoma because he, he doesn't have plays... the ball ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I do worry for Stephen Kenny because the questions in Ireland are going to be how come we're not that great when we've got Evan Ferguson? And, it, you know, when you've got a player of that talent, the, the, the pressure starts to come on. But Deserby's tactics are such that uh, Evan Ferguson is almost playing like a withdrawn role. Because those other two players like speed on, and then he can come onto the ball and score a goal like he did last night. I mean, this is it with Brighton. Uh, they are breaking orthodoxy. They do play Tottenham at the weekend, actually, a game I shall be at. And suddenly, here they come. I don't think they've lost away from home since October or something, Brighton. And I have absolutely no faith in Tottenham getting anything from that game. At all, <laughs> no. we'll get to them in a second. I mean, I mean it's such a—it's a great finish because he actually has to get quite a lot on that, like quite a lot of purchase because the ball was going quite slowly. And then in Cisco took about an hour to finish that goal. I think it's his first Premier League goal. Very emotional. Jeff got in touch to say the combined age of their goal scorers uh, was thirty-seven. It's a bit upsetting, isn't it? <laughs> that's for all that's of us. Two here. humans, Barry. <laughs> two whole humans. Only thirty-seven. Um, actually, Jordan. Bournemouth had some really good spells in this game. Like Gary Neal said, look, they probably had the better chances. Like Ferguson's chances harder than I think Triori's, who puts it wide. Um, Solanke had a couple of good chances as well. Uh, Steele played quite well for, for Brighton. I, I sense that Bournemouth are actually quite good. They're better than I thought they'd be. They're still going at it. And and like we've talked about Leicester and Forrest in in you know, medium free fall because they're just falling off a lead, like a <laughs> like a step. And Southampton, who've got now, what, two wins to get out of the bottom three. Could feel Bournemouth could actually do it. I think they could. I, I'm not sure they will, but I, I don't look at them and think, yeah, you're done. I, I watch quite a few Bournemouth games of late. And every game, I mean, there's been, there's been a couple of batterings, granted, the, over the course of the season. But most of the games that I've watched under, under Gary O'Neill, they've been in um, and they give it a go. They're, they're not boring. They're not defensive. They, they, they give it a go. And I, I think ultimately the quality... The lack of quality may be their undoing and may send them down, but it won't be because they don't have a plan or a system or give it a go because every game I've watched of them, even in defeat, they do give it a go, especially at home. So, um, they, they were, they were unlucky in this match. They, they, they did, um, they did try. Um, they just failed. They're, they're up against Leicester next, aren't they? So that's. Another oh, enormous, <laughs> isn't it? Lovely. Oh, bring it on. Bring it on. Agony for those fans. <laughs> that game will not be fun for anybody. Uh, let's go to Goodison Monday night. A massive point for, for Everton. Spurs missed out on the chance to go third somehow um, in a fitting tribute to Conte. Spurs were dreadful in the first half, um, as were Everton, actually. And equally bad in the second, you could argue, from Spurs. But but we should start with that Michael Keane goal, Barry. I mean, what a what a hit that was! Yeah, an absolute scorcher. I mean, Michael Keane, you know, back in the Lampard days, he wouldn't have been in, possibly not even on the bench, but he he just seemed to be everywhere in this game. He had a block from Kane near in the first half. 
the player that got fouled when Lucas Moura gets sent off. He just he just seemed to be everywhere. And then the goal. I mean, he he just seemed to this space opened up. It was like the Red Sea parting, and he's here's Michael Moses Keane just goes has a look and goes, oh yeah, I'll advance, I'll advance some more. Oh yeah, here's another acre of space, and then I'll unleash a shot. Would anyone have? Giving him a prayer of like rifling it into the top corner, no, but he did, and the celebrations were incredible. This late winner, and it's quite interesting that Sean Dyche is in charge of Everton, and it's it's his his Burnley lieutenants who are helping them steer their way out of the shit. You know, so Keane got a point there, Tarkowski and Dwight McNeil have both scored winners for Everton. Uh, so yeah, it's very much burn latter day Burnley uh, helping to to keep Everton out of the mire. That's good news for Ashley Barnes next season if he wants to move, <laughs> isn't it? Um, uh, Lawrence says we're Tottenham missing Fraser Forster last night, world class keeper who'd be unfairly maligned by some in the media. I did wonder, John, could Larice have done anything? I didn't. He wasn't that far. Was that ball just going so fast that that? And it was Michael Keane, so he was like. Oh. Everton don't score, but don't you have a rule that it looks better if the goalie doesn't move? Isn't that maybe he was thinking of? No, but I'm thinking is the keeper shouldn't die right, because it okay. might hit the post if you're, you're not right, going to get I, it. I, 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 I don't well, know. Maybe, maybe maybe he was was taking that on. Um, I think uh, remember Nathan Jones said it's harder to play against ten men. Uh, remember it was this thing that he got taken apart for saying, "Oh." Giving ten men made them feel better about themselves in the, that sort of valedictory Wolves games. Well, it, it seemed to do this for Everton as well. I thought didn't Tottenham it? were. I thought Tottenham were so bad when Everton went to ten. So men. That is the worst performance against ten men. I think I've ever seen. There must be worse, obviously. But it's just. I mean, I, I, I was watching this, and it's just like, why are you doing this? Why are you retreating? Why are you giving the ball to Oliver Skip, who, let's face it, is not Luka Modric, uh, to to just hold the ball and pass aimlessly? <laughs> Why are you inviting anyone? Why are you inviting a team like Everton that actually have to do something? It was, I, I mean, you know, I mean, wherever Conte is, he must have been laughing his head off because it it, it was, it, it 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 you know, violate Como with a you know with a cigarillo on and a. He must have been maybe just just laughing his head off because it, it was it, it, everything that he said about those group of players, they did. Hmm. I mean, he's. I would say he's still maybe slightly culpable. You know, the remnants oh, absolutely might, yeah, might, yeah, might yeah. still be there. But you're right. There's such a bleakness about Spurs. Like, like you're right. You're, you have a player sent off, and we'll get to that instant in a second. Right, Decore is an idiot and has done you a favour. You get a penalty, which you're lucky to get. Right. I mean, it was a penalty, but like, it's another mistake. And then you're 1-0 up and all you have to do is just, just like, just play a bit. Like, like you're, you're, they're, they're, they're trying to play out from the back, which they're not very good at. There's no energy. I don't know what has happened to Hume Son. Like, he can't do anything. He can't control. He, he like, he just gets it and holds it until he loses it. That's all he's doing at the moment. Like, yes. Yeah, someone sent me a picture of Fernando Torres when it was a, Sun miss, and it was like Torres at Chelsea. You know where it's just like a player that's had it all that no longer has it. That's yeah. what I feel about him. 
It's really bleak. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I was not surprised when that goal went in, I was like, Everton have to score at some point. That Tottenham can't get out of this. And if you think about those drop points at Everton and at Southampton, both in injury time, those four points, I mean, got a massive difference to that league table. Well, well, they don't, do they? Because Spurs are still fourth. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're right. They have played like 60 more games than everyone else. Maya Lanier says, Harry Kane deserved two yellows before Decore shoved him, which deserved a red. Kane then simulated and should have received another yellow, but Kane gets an easy ride as he's England's golden boy. Discuss. Barca Spurs says, is it just me? Or has Harry Kane scrutinised way more for any slight hint of gamesmanship? And yet at the same time, pundits and fans say he's protected because he's England's captain. A clear push in the face is almost always a red card. So what's the problem? Um, Jordan. So, I mean, first of all, I have no problem with what he did. I mean, I, I, I know a lot of people are kind of this pearl clutching of, oh, you can't, you can't dive, you can't go down easy. It's just like, get on with it. They all do it. And if it's, if it's your team, you don't have a problem with it in the main. So I don't have a problem with what he did. To the, to the discussion around, is he protected or not? Well, he is scrutinised more than everybody else, but I tend to find, and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong here, I tend to find he's scrutinised, but with the lens of positivity. So he's, he is protected in the sense that they talk about the fact that he goes down easy and he does that thing where he backs into players and that, that for me is quite dangerous. But it's always, it's, it's never really scrutinised with, um, what's the word, it's never scrutinised with the, the language that he should be punished for it. It's highlighted, but it's never, he should be done for that. Now, I don't think he should be done for going down easily. But at the same time, I do think there's this element of he's the England captain. He, they, there's a slight force field around him. I feel that, but I could be, I could be wrong. I, I don't think there's a more divisive figure in English football than Harry Kane. Because you, you even mentioned Harry Kane, and we've mentioned it on here on the radio, you get pelters either way, don't you? If you if you say, well, the, people don't like him for this reason, then you get slagged for saying people don't like him rather than you actually saying, I don't like him for that reason. It's like, it's, it's just like a raw nerve. Harry Kane is just this this trigger for discussion. And uh, listen, the, the, the sending off, agree with Jordan. He made the most of it, but that's football, right? Uh, and other players do it. Because it's Harry Kane, it becomes magnified. Is he let off because he's Harry Kane? Well, maybe. But it's always Harry Kane. And that's because he is the top goal scorer for Tottenham, the top goal scorer for England, and he's a really good footballer. And a lot of people don't like him for some reason. Well, it's probably because they'd support another team. I think the same thing used to be said about Alan Shearer, didn't it? And that time when he almost kicked Neil Lennon's head clean off his shoulders... <laughs> and got away with it scot-free. <laughs> People reckoned it's because he's the England captain, and I think that was probably true. But, you know, Decore deserved to be sent off. It's a red card offence, raise, raise your hands, hit someone in the face. But it's also true that Kane feigned injury. There's no way, you know, the reaction was way more than the... The, the act of violence such as it was deserved. And I think it's also fair to say, you know, Kane is a terrific player and a brilliant goal scorer, but it is also true that he has cost Tottenham trophies by playing when injured in finals. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> here, we, here we go. Go on. It is also true that 
His goal-scoring record in semi-finals and finals is absolutely atrocious. So, you know, both things could be true at once. Everton staying up then, Jordan? I think that point, actually, weirdly, will keep them up. I, I think they will have enough. They will limp over the line now. Um, I think they've, they've had they lost that game, they would still be in trouble. I think that point, I know there's nine games to go. That, can't, that, they, that, doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. No, no, no. It's only a but point. But psychologically, right? Uh, well, there's that. But also, I just feel that Sean Dyche will manage to gouge out enough points to keep them around. I don't fear for them the way that I fear for a Southampton or a Nottingham Forest. Is gouge the right verb to use when Decore's maybe not no. yeah, and yeah, to do maybe, less maybe, of that that was, that was in my head grind yeah. <laughs> grind they can grind it if they stay up by a point how will you know it was that one and not not a different one that keeps them up <laughs> it's, it's a good point it's a good point Optoclate says the first time where an opening scorer had their goal equalised by a player with one additional letter in their surname since Kevin Davies equalised for Bolton in 2008 after Sean Davis had opening the scoring for Portsmouth um, as Michael Keane, Harry Kane and Michael Keane. Um, nice. I, I hope Richard Jolly is suitably ashamed of himself <laughs> for not going up with that one. I mean, I haven't checked it, but it's a thank you, Optoclates. Wonderful stats. Uh, big games tonight uh, in terms of the top four. Um, and at the bottom for West Ham, they host Newcastle, Manchester United, Brentford. And so if... If Tottenham are still fourth after this, then, you know, insanity hits him. Yes, Jordan? So just quickly, I mean, this, this is a big game for Brentford because I don't think Brentford will get top four. But if they were to win this game tonight, that massively shakes up that kind of top four even third um, race. So um, I, that's a really big game for, for multiple reasons. All right, that'll do for part two. Part three will begin with the eight-game ban for Alexander Mitrovic. <laughs> Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, so, yeah, Alexander Mitrovic has been given an eight-match ban by an independent commission after pushing referee Chris Kavanagh in their FA Cup defeat at Manchester United. Uh, he's got the three-match ban for the sending off, three for violent conduct, additional two for improper, abusive, insulting and threatening language. Also received a £75,000 fine. Uh, Marco Silva's got a two-game touchland ban. But on Mitrovic, um, is eight games the right decision, Barry? Uh, yeah, that's probably fair enough. I thought he'd get 10, maybe. Uh, originally, I didn't think it was as big a deal as everyone else, but then having reflected on it for a while, I thought, yeah, he'll get 10. So 8, 10, tomato, tomato, I suppose. Uh, there were people calling for him to you know, get a similar ban to that of Eric Cantona for a crime which wasn't even remotely similar. Um <laughs> And I'll be honest, I think Eric Cantona should have probably got a knighthood for what he did rather than a ban. Um, but, um, yeah, I'd be happy with eight. And I'd say he's probably, he'll take eight as well. You know, it could have been more. John, I had Nadim Anua uh, on an, another uh, podcast. Well, she was on Five Live and they, they turn it into a podcast saying actually that he was talking about do people watch who play grassroots see that and think it's okay to beat the shit out of referee and saying actually look we need to make a slight difference here kids might watch Mitrovic do that and go oh, I can push a ref but there is a difference between that what Mitrovic did and you know referees who are getting like beaten up because those things have happened before and you never you never see players beating the shit out of referees at, at professional level and and it's probably worth making that 
that contrast. I don't know if you agree or, or disagree. Yeah, I once saw me many years ago, me and my cousin walking through a park in Stockport and seeing a referee having to get in a car and run away from a, from the match that was, you know, just one of these games that just went off, you know. Blimey. And yeah. uh, uh, to this day, uh, me and my cousin exchanged the Come on the Albert, which was one of the teams that was playing in this game. Yeah, I, I, I agree with Nadim there, actually. This won't know anything of the children thing. Am I right in saying that the FA want this ban to be extended? I get the feeling that they want uh, Mitro's season to be ended as a, a point to say, you behave like that, that's the end of your season, because with an eight-game ban, I think you can come back before the end of the season. Well, isn't that more of a punishment? Because if you get the season-ending ban, you can just, you're away, you're on holidays, but... <laughs> you can go back, you know, backpacking. He has yeah, to go yeah. training every day, doesn't he? Now, just for those last two games. Well, the, th- the thing with Mitro, of course, is that uh, I mean, Marco Silva and and, and the owner, um, well, the owner's son Tony Khan, were talking about how they have to spend the summer keeping him off the burgers. So, um, oh, mate, I've got a problem now. He'll come back for the last two games like the Michelin <laughs> yeah. man. <laughs> yeah, so it could, you know, this could be. Uh, this could be career ending uh, <laughs> if if they if they, if they, if, they, if, they, if they give him four months off. I mean, good God! I think there is an important point though about you know what players do. I, I, I agree with Nadim that there is a difference between you know players who are in such a zone on a Sunday that they might actually attack someone and Mitrovic pushing a referee. I think they are two different things. But what Mitrovic did is an extension of just the amount that referees are surrounded and yelled at. And I, I would be totally pro kind of, and I don't know anything about rugby. I don't really like it, but I would be pro only the captain can talk any of this and it's 10 yards forward, all that stuff. I would, I would, I'd love to see how that played out in football, in the community shield or something, because I just think that, and we saw it with Klopp doing it and Pep doing it and, and other managers doing it as well. Just, I understand the emotion of it, but I would be pro seeing those things come in. I agree. And apart from, I can only assume, player power, I have no idea why referees don't just send off three players. Just to send off, you're gone, you're gone, you're gone. And immediately it will stop. I can't understand why referees don't show the cards in those scenarios more. They seem to just be, there seems to be an unwritten rule that you can't, do you know what I mean? You can't just send off four players in, in one hit. It's like, well, why not? If, 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 if you're being intimidated, if you are being touched, if you are being disrespected as the official, why can't referee just say, you're gone, you're gone, you're gone? Is, am I being naive there? I don't know. Well, well n- yes and no. I, I, think, I think you would have to have like a diktat to say, this is what is happening now. Because, because it's a bit like Harry Kane going down, right? He should get booked for diving there, but he isn't because Decore's done something. And so it's just this unwritten rule of how it's all worked out, right? And the other thing is as well, if Kane just went, ow, Decore might only get a yellow. So that's why Kane does that, right? It's these kind of, it's the application of the laws and the way we kind of all just say, well, this is just how it, how it is. But I wouldn't be against that at all. What Jordan's advocate there reminds you of some of those... You know, you get those crazy world of football videos where an Argentinian ref sends off, <laughs> you know, 15 of them in a Copa Libertadores thing. And it's, I'm not sure that that works. Yeah. And then he is, and then he's, no, and then he's chased around like the running yeah, yeah, track, yeah. isn't he? And then he has to, do, he has to do an impromptu 400 meter hurdles, even though he didn't want to. Um, elsewhere, Reading have been deducted six points by the EFL for breaching the terms of an agreed business plan. For a previous profit and sustainability rule breach, uh, they 
accepted they'd not sufficiently satisfied elements of the planned budget. Uh, so that takes him to 20th, one above the relegation zone. Paul says, um, Bolton Wanderers won the EFL trophy on Sunday. We didn't get round to it. It was the biggest attendance in European football of the weekend, Bolton Plymouth. It means so much to our club, given that we nearly went to the wall in 2019. We could have been Berry. Can anyone think of a better example of a club making such a comeback in less than four years? Yeah, well done to you. Scott says, I'm a Macclesfield Town fan. I listen to your pod every week. Can the Silkman get a shout out for our promotion this weekend? Uh, they won the Northern Premier League. West Division will be in the Northern Premier League proper next year. John, um, Phoenix from the Flames. I'm from Macclesfield. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, feel good factor. Um, yeah, I still speak to people that go. Uh, I've, to my shame, the newly formed Macclesfield FC. I've only seen play the once. You know, I'm busy, man. You know. Uh, but anyway, uh, I was reading in Robbie Savage's. Uh, uh, Daily Mirror column uh, talking about the cost of living crisis uh, and of course he is uh, a, a shareholder and they've had to put the price of tickets at Macclesfield for next season uh, so they attract gates between 3,500 and 4,000 in a league where crowds get only a few hundred so you know they're actually it, it, actually that's bigger crowds than they used to get in the football league yeah that's great uh, it's really good, yeah, and and they've done a great job that. But um, but the, these the, the the price increases. Mm. Next season we're increasing admission from twelve pounds to seventeen pounds. That's quite an increase, and season tickets from one hundred and eighty pounds to two hundred ninety nine. Which you know, obviously costs are going up, but yeah, I don't know what the I don't know what the average cost of a Northern Premier League game is. Seventeen feels quite a lot i just don't know well whenever i go to see dollar chamlet it's 12 quid and they're a, a league above i think sort of the equivalent they're in the national league south so that's yeah 12 for them oh well thanks for sucking the joy out of that good news story then john <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm saying i'm saying that uh, this has come at a cost to the owners to which i'm sure everyone in macclesfield is thankful uh, but it comes, you know, it will come at cost to the public. Um, it's just, a, you know, there are a lot of clubs come up through the divisions and it's hypercharged and then, and you see why. And that's one of the reasons. So, yeah, all credit to Robbie Savage, but um, those prices do seem a little high to me. Uh, Jack says, uh, so Barney raised the subject of wooden spoon whittling on Monday's pod. And Max, you mentioned a wooden spoon whittling shop on the Hackney Road. As a local, I walk past it often. It happens to be called Barn the Spoon. I've, I've seen you around there, John. We bumped into each other around Barn the Spoon. Yes, yeah, yeah. I live near very yeah, near. I'm just it. wondering yeah, yeah. if it's one of Barney's, as it's called Barn the Spoon, is it an unsubtle one of Barney's undercover side hustles? Maybe Barney is, maybe he is thinking up whimsical metaphors while whittling spoons all the while. And Cormac says, given the only foot on the subject of Ben White, not watching football. Given that the only football he sees are clips shown to him by the Arsenal analytics team, who is the most high-profile player that Ben White has never heard of? Barry might not know who Sergio Ramos plays for, but but does Ben White even know who he is? Do you think Ben... Does Ben White know who Sergio Ramos is? Who is the most high-profile player that Ben White has no idea of their existence? It's a very good question, is he? Does he know who... What, I'm bringing Vlahovic, do you reckon? I reckon he doesn't know who that is. Do you reckon he watched the, I mean, he didn't, he, he obviously left the World Cup squad. Do you reckon he watched none of the World Cup? Well, he won't know. He, they'll presumably show him players that he'll come up against. So 
He won't know many defenders. Only knows left wingers. So he won't know, he won't know any right wingers. He won't know any defenders. So, like, who are the most famous defenders in the world? Uh, yeah, you know, like Thiago question. Silva or... Yeah. 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 Delict. He, he's playing Spurs. Virgil, Vir, who, he's who's, like, this, knows hum- who's this Virgil van yeah. Dijk character? You know. <laughs> Do you think it's like at half time after the North London derby and he's kept human son quiet and then he says to uh, you know Zinchenko who's who's that lad over there who's that could assess oh what's he like no idea yeah. there's a, a fellow from my hometown of Burr who, who's a very good hurler goalkeeper but he famously didn't really like hurling he just happened to be very good at it and during a half-time lecture in, uh, or a half-time pep talk in an All-Ireland club semi-final against uh, Burr were playing Athlone Rye. The Burr coach said to him, you know, stop, Breeder, stop pucking the ball out to Joe Cooney. And Breeder's like, okay, yeah, no problem. And then they leave the dressing room and he goes to one of his teammates, which one is Joe Cooney? (laughs) (laughs) Joe Cooney at the time, having been one of the most famous hurlers in the country. (laughs) That's great. Keeps him grounded. I was going to say, Ben, if you are listening, let us know. But obviously, very unlikely that you listen to The Guardian Football Weekly three times a week. football podcast. (laughs) Yeah. um, Anyway, that'll do for today's pod. Cheers, Jordan. Cheers, mate. Uh, Thank you, John. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Barry. Thank you, Max. Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Daniel Stevens. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.